Pablo. Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week. I'm Katrina Liebick with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Yero, a fish aficionado. It's Monday, March 15th, 2021, and we're excited to talk about all the fish. This week's fish is the coastal cutthroat trout. They're not ruthless murderers like their name might suggest, but they do have a red marking under their lower jaw that looks like a cut, and that's what inspired their common name. The genus, which is Oncorhynchus, tells us that there are Pacific trout in the family Salmonidae, and their scientific species name Clarkii is a nod to the explorer William Clark, who co-led the Lewis and Clark expedition. So that was something new I learned about their name, and I mean, it must have been maybe one of the more prevalent fish they caught since that's what the the scientific name has in it, his last name. So yeah, I, I would be curious what kind of fishing gear they were using back in the day to catch them out in the West. Yeah, I think they, from what I've read, which is limited, they did eat them, they did bring some back. And uh, yeah, later on, I, I forget the guy's name, I think it may have been Richardson, who officially named it after Clark. Yeah. So Alaska's got coastal cuts from about Prince William Sound, south through the panhandle of Alaska, so southeast Alaska. But they also range all the way down to the coast into Northern California. And to put things in context and really nerd out slightly, there's a, a number of other cutthroats, right? There are, and it varies. A lot of sources that you'll go and find, you'll find that there's 14 recognized subspecies of cutthroat trout. Oh, whoa. Yeah. So of those, two are extinct. And then, actually, I got a list here I prepared today. Uh, <laughs> so we got the coastal the West Slope, Yellowstone, Snake River Fine Spot, Lahontan, Paiute, Humboldt, Alvord, Bonneville, Colorado River, Greenback, Rio Grande, Yellowfin, Willow, Whitehorse. And then there's also the, the state of Utah recognizes the Bear River cutthroat trout, which I believe was traditionally grouped in with the Bonneville cutthroats, but recent genetic analyses suggest that might be uh, more closely related to the Snake River population, but that's not officially recognized. And then also they used to recognize the Lake Crescent species, but that's been uh, subsumed into a different species, I forget, or different subspecies. I forget which one. My gosh. Are they all, and they've all got that cut under their throat? Yeah. So these fish can look quite different. I, I mean, there are similarities between all of them, but they do all have that cut for the most part. It is fainter on some, and it can be different colors, ranging from uh, kind of a golden yellow to a really distinct red. The coastal cutthroat species, which is the one that the only one that you can find in Alaska, it actually all in all, when you look at the whole fish, very much resembles a rainbow trout. Whereas most cutthroats have relatively few spots for a trout, and they're going to be mostly on the posterior, the tail end of the body, uh, kind of dense down there. The coastal cutthroat has spots throughout the body. It has a whole lot of them. Uh, it's got the same sort of reddish rosy midline that rainbows have. And making things even more challenging, some coastal subspecies of rainbow trout also will have slightly reddish markings underneath. And there is overlap in the range of, of course, rainbow and cutthroat trouts, and they do produce fertile hybrids as well. So you can have cut bows, as they're called, mm -hmm. that are hybrids between rainbows and cutthroats, and those oftentimes have cutthroat markings. So sometimes it can be hard to tell if you're dealing with a rainbow that has some slightly cutthroat looking markings, coastal cutthroat, or a cut bow. Man. So what I what I have learned about those cut bows, so this is kind of interesting. I mean, if you're looking to identify between a coastal cut, a rainbow trout, 
and a cut bow. Guy mentioned the spots. So that's that's kind of one clue. There are really, you know, tons of spots on them. But the cut bows, like you said, are hybrid. And what biologists will use to kind of tell the difference between a rainbow and a cutthroat are the presence of these small teeth at the base of the, the tongue. Um, and that's a way to distinguish between the two. So rainbows don't have those. They're called basibranchial teeth. So, you know, it's something that we can all be happy. I guess we don't have when we're going to the dentist. There's teeth way back there in your throat like that. But that's, I mean, if you want to kind of look in the fish's mouth, that's one way to kind of figure out that ID if you have a question about it. Yeah, I've also heard about, if you look at the the maxillary bone, the, the kind of the fish mouth that sort of extends back uh, beyond the eye, that in rainbow trout, that is usually a little bit shorter and in cutthroat trout, it can be longer. But I don't know exactly how that manifests itself in uh, cut bows. And are, are those teeth that you're talking about, those, those are actually on the tongue then, right, Katrina? Yeah, it said it's on the back of the tongue. Yeah, so. definitely not a good species to try lipping. No. <laughs> yeah, so that's really interesting that there's so many, you know, we, we focus on Alaska for the most part, but this species in particular is really interesting just due to all the kind of variation down in the lower 48 as well. Just wanted to give a quick shout out to our friends there at Fish and Wildlife Service and the Western Native Trout Initiative who are working to conserve all those other cuts. So in Southeast Alaska, coastal cuts will use everything habitat-wise from the smallest headwater streams to deep lakes to brackish estuaries and fully marine shoreline environments. Some of them are residents, so they'll spend the entire year even within a really small section of a given stream. All you fish nerds out there probably know how important that um, those undercut banks and large woody debris are going to be for making those deep pools that fish need at certain times of year, especially ones that are spending most of their time in kind of one area of a stream. That stuff's really important for overwintering too. Others that are residents, so they're not migrating to sea, they prefer lakes and ponds. And Guy, there's also, you know, the sea run coastal cuts. So kind of those two major classes, the residents and the sea run. I don't know if you want to talk about those a little bit too for folks. Yeah, kind of muddles things even a little bit more when you talk about this diversity in life history. But yeah, you do have, like many uh, coastal trout populations, you see it with the the coasters up in Alaska with the brook trouts and, of course, sea-run brown trouts. And uh, most almost more famously, uh, the steelhead steelhead, uh, yep. steelhead uh, rainbows. Cool. So in terms of fishing, I know that you're a big cut fan. So I was wondering what you like about fishing for them. Is it like the habitat? Just kind of what draws you to that species? And then we can get into more of the technical details about actually fishing for them, I guess. Yeah. So I grew up fishing for cutthroat trout in Utah. I, I lived there for the first 16 years of my life. And it's a great kind of backcountry fish where if you want to catch these guys, they don't stock them a lot. More recently, uh, people have begun uh, stocking cutthroat trout for conservation measures, but generally you're not going to find, you know, the stockers, the stock, like stock cutthroats like you would rainbow trout or brown trout or something like that. So to find these fish, you really have to go out and catch wild cutthroat. And it's, of course, beautiful areas uh, where you can find them. You know, there's that old saying that trout only live in beautiful places, and that's definitely the case for cutthroats. And so whenever you're going out into the backcountry, that's what you're catching. And they are gorgeous fish, you know, just really uh, distinctive cutthroat markings. They're, they're just gorgeous fish and lots of them. Usually when you start finding these fish, that's uh, usually in places where there's not a ton of pressure and you'll usually be able to do really well and catch a whole bunch of them. 
That sounds super fun. So I'm going to be honest. Um, I've been mostly meat fishing the last 10 years since moving up here to Alaska. So I actually don't fish for trout um, really at all anymore. Um, I used to fish browns in Michigan and steelhead that were coming in from the Great Lakes. But, you know, what are some some take homes for folks who are interested in fishing for cutthroat trout? Well, they are really your typical kind of trout. Uh, they tend to be pretty hungry, but in the wintertime, we know that the water is cold. The metabolism of cold-blooded animals like fish uh, and other invertebrates that they're feeding on in the water really slows down, and they're not going to be very active. That doesn't mean that they're not feeding. They are still feeding, but they're going to be conserving energy. Uh, they're going to be in slower moving water. So a lot of times if you can find like a deep hole or off side pool or eddy, something where there isn't uh, a lot of current, but they can still get food, that's probably where they're going to be. And they're not going to be coming after stuff. You can't really just like pull a streamer or something through there. They're not going to chase things. To catch a trout in the wintertime, you're going to have to drop something right in their face. So if you're fly fishing, we're talking a lot of nymphs, a lot of dead drifting, Usually, uh, you're probably going to want to use smaller uh, flies, smaller nymphs. That's because a a lot of the uh, species that are active uh, might be uh, hatching or something that time of year. And then also, as I mentioned, we have uh, these fish that aren't uh, moving a whole lot. And so whereas in the springtime, summertime, when they're they're moving, you might be able to make a few casts along a run. And if you're not getting anything, move on. Uh, I would be more tenacious during the wintertime and really try and hit it several times because you might be missing that fish just by an, an inch or two. And yeah hitting it again you, you you might be able to pull it out of there yep. and in general I, I hate to say lower your expectations mm-hmm. uh but winter fishing is uh tougher and you're not going to have the same kind of productivity that you'll get uh say like come summertime so just keep that in mind and then also you know normally when you're fishing it's uh, important to get out there in the early morning and really try and uh get that that morning bite but when it comes to winter trout fishing i would say you don't need to get out there until later in the day when it warms up. Focus yeah. on warm days if you want to, uh, because that's when the fish are going to be more active. Okay. And like you said, I mean, some of these um, habitats that they're found in are really beautiful, especially in Southeast Alaska. So even if it is a little bit slower, it's still really nice to get out and get on the water and learn a little bit about the fish and their behavior. So that's that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, but come summertime, it's everything's a go. Mm-hmm. Hey there, everybody. One thing we want you to always keep in mind, regardless of what it is that you're fishing for, is safety. Every week, we're going to give you a tip that you can use to stay safe while you're fishing. Depending on where you're ice fishing, you may find it appropriate to use a snow machine to haul yourself and your gear to your destination. Of course, as we have mentioned in the segment before, you should always make sure that the ice you're traveling on can support the weight of you and your machine. And you should inform yourself of areas where there may be anomalous thin spots in the ice. In addition to this, today's tip is to make sure that you don't travel too fast for your line of sight. That is to say, you should make sure that the distance that your machine travels once brakes are applied is shorter than the distance that you can see in front of you. This rule is especially important if you find yourself traveling at night when visibility can be limited to your machine's headlights. Occasionally, there are stories of people who are motoring along and see a rock, tree, or hole that has developed in the ice. They slam on the brakes, but because of the high speed at which they are traveling, they are unable to stop before crashing. Again, this rule is especially relevant when traveling at night. I would even go as far as to recommend not snow machining at night if at all possible and making sure that your headlights are both clean and powerful. 
let's get into the eating portion. I have never actually eaten a cutthroat trout before, although I've eaten other species of trout, and I'd, I'd venture to guess that they taste trouty like the others. I don't know if you've tried any. Yeah, I'm sure I have. So what I would do is if you're out, this is a nice uh, recipe that you can either make at home in, in your oven, or you can do it when you're out uh, and have a campfire and get it down to the coals. Take the fish, uh, hopefully, so, so have some aluminum foil with you, bring it out when you're camping. Take a piece that's a couple inches longer than the fish. Now you're going to gut it, leave the head on, just kind of eviscerate it, take out the guts, wash it out a little bit. Sprinkle some water into the aluminum foil that's going to help keep it moist. And what you're going to want to do is basically take some salt and pepper and uh, and spice it in there and just, just cover the internal cavity with the salt and pepper. And you're going to chop up some butter pats and stick it in there. If you want to get fancy and you have this stuff out with you, then I'd recommend taking some finely sliced lemon wedges, putting it in there, as well as some chopped onion. And then you basically you, you wrap it up and you get that aluminum foil as tight as you can. Make it airtight if possible. You can wrap it in a second piece if you like. And then you're going to put it down and you're going to get a spot and kind of bury it in the coals and bury it for about 20 minutes. Uh, and then you'll you'll know it's ready when the when the meat's coming off the bone, when the skin uh, is able to kind of move away from the meat and pull off. And, and then that just tastes really good. It's a pretty simple way to prepare the fish and really easy, few materials and tastes really good. So that's a wrap for, should we say, cuts? <laughs> Get out and enjoy all the fish, guys. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebich, and my co-host is Guy Iro. This show is produced by David Hoffman of Citizen Race Car, assisted by Garrett Tiedemann and Kelsey Kors. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. As the service reflects on 150 years of fisheries conservation, we honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community. Individuals, tribes, the state of Alaska, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish. Mm -hmm.